It's spring and you want to hike, bike, hit up the farmer's market, but the last thing you want to do on a warm, sunny morning is clean house. That's where Greenland Pro Cleaning comes in. They're eco-friendly, allergy-friendly, and locally owned in Asheville. Listeners of The Overlook get a free upholstery and refrigerator cleaning upgrade with their first booking. Just use the code PODCAST at checkout. Make the most of your time this spring and visit GreenlandProCleaning.com slash overlook. Imagine, you're a classical music composer about to premiere your final symphony. Behind the scenes, your family and a stranger are about to throw everything into disarray. Welcome to A God in the Waters, the latest play by the venerable Asheville writer David Brendan Hopes. Look for a lot of laughs, but also a deeper reflection on the making of art and its impact on the people closest to the genius at work. The Sublime Theater presents A God in the Waters, May 9th through 18th at the BB Theater in downtown Asheville. For tickets and details, go to thesublimetheater.org. I am a maker, a builder, a baker, although sometimes my messes are all that you'll find. I'll tell a story, both true and allegorial. The process is precious, so it takes up all my time. There's a child care crisis in the United States. First, the cost is enormous. Second, parents of infants and toddlers are meeting wait lists for many months, even up to a year, just to land openings. In Buncombe County, where incomes are pretty modest, parents are often weighing whether they can afford to go back to work at all. Families are being really creative. Honestly, we're seeing people going to half-day programs and then maybe having a babysitter in the afternoon. Some are going to unlicensed providers and they need to work. And right now it it is very honestly easy to operate as an unlicensed provider, even with more than the legal limit, because there's such a need and families are willing to take that risk. This is The Overlook with Matt Pikin, a podcast about the news, arts, issues, and trends of Asheville, North Carolina. My guest today is Jenny Vile, Director of Child Care Resources at Buncombe Partnership for Children. We go through the growing demand and dwindling supply for quality child care providers. We talk about a new partnership with the Biltmore to open more slots for infants and toddlers. We also lay out the challenges of creating a more sustainable landscape for child care in this county and around the the country. I began the conversation by asking Jenny Vile whether there's always a greater need for childcare than places to meet that need. Always is a big word. I think in Buncombe County, historically, it has always been the case as long as childcare has been a more standard thing that most many families are using for the youngest children. So infants and toddlers, there has historically been a shortage of supply. Now, preschool, even now that we're talking about child care shortage and we have, looking over the last four years, we have about 100 fewer people working in the field in Muncombe County than we did before the pandemic. So 2019 to 2023, we have about a 100 fewer people. 100 working. fewer out of how many? Out of, thank you. Out of about... Around 1,000. So it's about 10%. It kind of varies between 10 and 12% reduction in early childhood workforce, which then has a corresponding impact on the number of slots available for children. Now, 
it becomes an issue of economics that if the way that childcare licensing works, we can put 18 five-year-olds, four-year-olds, three preschoolers in a classroom with two teachers, but only eight or 10 infants and and one-year-olds. And so if we only have so many teachers in the field, a lot of programs over time historically have shifted towards serving more preschoolers. What's your agency's role when it comes to child care? Our role is supporting people who are providing care, whether that is professional development, coaching, looking at classroom practices, but also startup business support and how we can leverage and take advantage of other programs and things that are happening in the community across the state to be able to support childcare business. Now, give me a mm-hmm. sense of the landscape of licensed child care. Mm-hmm. I don't have kids. Right. So from the outside looking in, it can be anything from in-home private mm-hmm. child care centers to Werner Center right. for Learning and mm-hmm. big facilities like that. Yeah. Am I correct in that, that this umbrella encompasses all of that and everything in between? All of that and everything in between. In North Carolina, any person caring for more than two children who are unrelated to them for more than four hours a day or more than four months out of the year. So like a summer camp can operate without a license because they're only open for three months. So that means that we have got a couple of license types. So you mentioned Werner and is a big program that has private care, but also receives early Head Start funding. So they offer early Head Start for zero to three-year-olds. But we also have a license type in North Carolina called a family child care license, where they're licensed by the state, but they can have no more than five preschool-age children plus they can have a couple of school-age children as well. So max of eight children in the home at a time, and then everything in between. We do also have, partly due to the need, a a large economy of what we call license-exempt providers, where they're caring for maybe one or two children in the home, or maybe part days. They don't need to be licensed, but it also means that they don't get the benefits of the system. So this can be... Entities that you may not even know about, Mm -hmm. right? So where are we seeing the lack? Where are we seeing the absence? Is it everywhere from small homes to Mm -hmm. Werner-sized entities, or is it mostly in the smaller private realm? We have had, it's hard to tell. Really, the the answer is more about, rather than program size, it's about age of children that are being served. Where's the gap? Where's that donut hole of Mm -hmm. children who are not being as well served right now? Babies. It's babies and one-year-olds. They just fewer children can be in each classroom. So it becomes this kind of economy of scale. We hear over and over again consistently people that got on multiple wait lists right when they found out they were pregnant and end up with childcare slots sometime after the kid is one. Their waiting over a year is pretty regular. Sometimes a sibling will be able to get in because programs will serve younger siblings often before they serve brand new ones. So the younger kids, for sure. So mm-hmm. you mentioned waiting list. Mm-hmm. Is it the norm always to have some waiting? So let's say you are an expecting mother. Mm-hmm. At Let's say you're four or five months pregnant. Do you then get on a wait list? What happens? That is, that's what we encourage is for people to get on wait lists as soon as they think they might need childcare. And unfortunately, it's a hard data point to pin down because families will get on multiple wait lists 
across several programs. And sometimes they'll get lucky depending on the time of year and when children are moved into older classrooms and create space. But, are, are we yeah. seeing a problem now or this challenge because people are returning to the office, mm-hmm. returning to the workforce, whereas early in the pandemic, it was all remote working for everybody. And then it eased back for some companies, maybe not as much for others. Tell me how the return to office has affected what you're seeing now in terms of supply and demand. It's interesting. It's honestly a hard question to answer because from the demand side, without surveying every family with young children in the community, which survey results like that can be hard. We don't know because a lot of people will say, I know there's not childcare, so I will work with a nanny or I will go outside the licensed system. What we do know from within the childcare system is that in Buncombe County, we lost one small program during the pandemic. The programs have stayed open. However, many programs have contracted They're operating with fewer slots than they used to have, or they've got a classroom or two that are closed. And so supply is is lower by uh, about 16% from winter 2020 to September 2022, those dates, and and it hasn't changed terribly much since then. So, So if it's dropped, why has that dropped? Have some businesses simply closed? Mm -hmm. Are people leaving the field as opposed to other fields. I know there's a lot of attrition happening Mm -hmm. across industries. Do you have a sense of what's happening in this industry to cause this imbalance? People leaving the field. I think we did definitely lose some teachers who needed to stay home with their own children when schools went virtual. Some of those teachers have not come back. I think also as we look at, at wages, and unfortunately early childhood at the entry level is still much lower pay than we hope, than we want it to be. Is, is the pay for early ch- child care mm-hmm. much less than it is for teachers in schools? Because teachers are crying loudly about their pay. Tell me about the difference there. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it is wildly different. Even for teachers who, for example, work in Head Start or an early Head Start program or NC Pre-K, where they need to have a certain degree and or teacher licensure in NC Pre-K, they are paid below the standard pay rate for K-12 teachers. Are, are they making below the what's called the living wage here in Buncombe County? And there is absolutely a disparity of pay between teachers at the entry level. I know teachers that are working less than my 18-year-old just got hired in fast food with no experience. Teachers that come in at that level. And also we've got teachers that have higher education. They've got a degree. They've got licensure. And they are making very close to what K-12 teachers are making. And everywhere in between. And unfortunately... As, as they struggle to keep up with what we know the living wage is locally, there's nowhere for that cost to go except to families. Yeah. You have to wonder when the pay is so low and that you can't just step into a job like that. There's certifications, there are training. I would think it would be a very discouraging landscape for anybody to enter that field for all the time and cost that would get take to get the kind of licensure you need, and then you're paid less than $20 an hour. Is that the main challenge here in terms of why this county in particular and this region is having a hard time attracting new people into the field? Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think part of it is the cost of living here. I will say this is happening across the country. It is much harder in communities like ours that we know have a high cost of living. 
but the crisis in childcare staffing and early education is happening across the country. What's happening elsewhere? If this is happening across mm-hmm. the country, so it's not necessarily an acute problem in Buncombe County per se, it's happening everywhere, mm-hmm. yet you can point to conditions that exacerbate it here. Yeah. What are families doing? You mentioned waiting lists a year or longer. Mm-hmm. What's happening to parents who need to return to work who don't have childcare options? I think one thing that we really, as a system, need to be looking at, too, is not passing the costs and the, the need to hire at higher wages just to families. It's not sustainable. So looking at advocacy, looking at places where state and local governments can continue to support like ours have. Families are being really creative, honestly. We're seeing people going to half-day programs and then maybe having a babysitter in the afternoon. Some are going to unlicensed providers. They need to work and they need to work. And right now it it is very honestly easy to operate as an unlicensed provider, even with more than the legal limit, because there's such a need and families are willing to take that risk. Are there Mm -hmm. subsidies that states, counties, municipalities Mm -hmm. provide in the way that they do for public school in a way? Public school is paid for by taxes. People can send their kids to school without any extra cost. Is there any governmental support for early child care? There is. There's the kind of standard long-running programs like Head Start, Early Head Start, NC Pre-K. There is childcare vouchers, which are childcare subsidy vouchers, which are available at a certain income limit. Buncombe County has the Buncombe County Early Childhood Development Fund, which is just under four million. I don't remember the exact number for this year. That is a grant process that runs through the county. That is has been wonderful at supporting various programs, but it is really looking at slot development and um, program quality and program support rather than helping families afford care. From the pandemic, the recovery plan dollars coming federally have gone to every county. And I'm trying to remember the exact number that came into Buncombe County, but it was in the, the tens of millions of dollars that came directly to uh, early childhood programs in Buncombe County. When it, co- when it goes to those programs, does it go to supplement the pay? It, does it go to hiring new people? And now that those pandemic funds have dried up, is that part of the problem that these facilities, these agencies can no longer support the staff that they could say in 2021? Absolutely. So the stabilization grants is what they were called came in um, two parts. One part was it was program stabilization. They were really kind of open-ended dollars that could be used for whatever the program needed, whether early on it was cleaning supplies or you name it, they could use it for that. And then the other part of it was compensation that went directly to teachers. And the compensation part just recently ended. And so that is part of what we're seeing is that some programs were able to continue the pandemic era wages and other programs have been needing to warn teachers that they were going to take a two, three, in some cases, $4 an hour pay cut, which is devastating when you've been making a higher wage. More after this. When you go to an Asheville City soccer club game, you're not just watching soccer. You're welcomed into what players and fans call the South Slope Blues. (laughs) 
The South Slope Blues, they're amazing. This is the coach of the women's team, Brooke Bingham. The atmosphere is what makes Asheville City Soccer so great. Longtime player Laura Greb. We have the most dedicated fans. We have our South Slope Blues. They post up in the corner of the field every game. They've got their drums, they've got their smoke, they've got their loud voices. You can hear them for miles. Elite men and women players from throughout North Carolina team up in Asheville for a two-month season against other aspiring pros from all over the Southeast. Home games this season begin May 18th at Greenwood Field on the UNC Asheville campus. For details, tickets, and your first steps into the South Slope Blues, visit Asheville City Soccer Club at AshevilleCitySC.com. Your agency came to me to talk about this in the wake of a program that was facilitated or initiated by the Biltmore, mm-hmm. right? Talk about that. I thought sure. that was really interesting that the Biltmore took a particular interest in childcare. How did they approach your office? They were looking at their community and their employees and hearing how hard it has been to find childcare in the community. And they were willing to take a step back and look at childcare in Buncombe County from a system standpoint. And they said, if we have more infant and toddler slots in the community, then our employees will also have more access to childcare. And so they were willing to do community investment that will you know, support child care for lots of people, not just for, for them, which is really exciting. Yeah. Talk mm-hmm. about specifically what their support looks like. Mm-hmm. How is that manifesting? So we agreed to a grant process where we, for this year, three programs um, received grant funding to specifically open new infant and toddler slots. So we've got three programs that received funding in October and a little over 20 new slots that are starting to have children in them now. 20 slots at three different providers. Right. They're on slightly different timelines, but it'll end up being between 20 and 30 before the year is over. One in South Asheville, one in West Asheville, and one out East. And this is Mm -hmm. 20 to 30. And when we're talking about a need of short of 100 slots, Mm -hmm. right? The 100 number was teachers. It's hard to pin down exactly the number that we need. We have enough infant slots for fewer than 10% of infants in the county. Now, that doesn't mean that all infants want childcare or the parents of infants want childcare, but we know that infant care especially and young toddlers, that wait lists are frequently over a year. And so what the Biltmore this partnership, is it providing slots for infants? Yes, infants and and, and toddlers. It it was written as infants and toddlers that way. There was some flexibility, and as kids get a little bit older, those slots can be can be used for those ages, but we prioritized infants. Is this a one-time money infusion, or is this a program ongoing? There will be a certain amount per year mm-hmm. that the Biltmore will devote to this to early child care. They've committed for three years, which is really exciting. So this is the first of three years, and then we're hoping to be able to use it to invite other businesses in. You were um, just anticipating yeah. a, t- a question I was going to have. <laughs> are there others that are coming on board that you're talking with that are looking to do something similar or amenable to doing something? 
So we are hopeful. We have not done a big push yet since this grant process just started and we're really in our first quarter of uh, the grantees having the funds. We're also working on a system that would allow prioritization, for example, one slot in each classroom for a Biltmore employee that we are hoping to be able to use as a incentive for other businesses to come in. Maybe at a certain donation level, the business could get some priority on a wait list, that kind of thing. Yeah. And when working with, hoping to work with the business community to figure out what feels sustainable and what feels doable and what would be enticing enough to invite private business into this type of funding. Now, it's mm-hmm. one thing to open slots, but we're mm-hmm. getting back to an issue you, you and I talked about just a little bit mm-hmm. ago, which is pay, yeah. salary. Mm-hmm. If you're opening slots, six, seven, 10, 20 mm-hmm. slots that are all not paying a living wage mm-hmm. or not coming close to that, aren't we just then inviting more of the problem? Like we've opened up these Mm -hmm. slots, but if these positions don't pay enough, Mm -hmm. and you're talking earlier about a problem of having people being attracted into the field and keeping people employed in this field, and if the pay is still low, Mm -hmm. aren't we just increasing the problem in a way? Like we have 20 slots open and we don't even have half enough of enough people to fill these slots because people don't want to enter this field. Yeah, I I think grant programs like this are important because they incentivize the holding of infant and toddler slots versus preschool slots since preschool slots financially are a little more viable for the program because there's more children per teacher. And so that's one piece of it. And so if programs know that they can receive funding to keep a classroom open, they are more likely to raise pay in those classrooms in order to recruit into the younger classroom. Tell me if this is a naive question, but you're saying that you can have more toddlers per Mm -hmm. teacher than you can newborns and Mm one-year-olds. That seems counterintuitive to me because aren't toddlers more challenging? <laughs> they're walking and crawling around and getting into things. If you have infants in bassinets, they're not moving. They're not going anywhere. Why do guidelines limit the number of infants and one-year-olds, which mm-hmm. I would think is part of the problem, right? Or not? if not limited, why is the limit so small? Uh, it's about caregiving needs. I mean, think about parents with twins that feel outnumbered. And in order to adequately support even adequate being being the baseline, support very young babies and toddlers, often you need a lot of adults. And the most infants you could have is five to one. It's a five to one ratio. So often they have you know, wow. two to 10. And, and what's the toddler ratio? It's one to, I mean, and these range based on quality, based on kind of star rating. You can have fewer children, but the legal max per adult is one to five for infants. for infants and one to six toddlers. Once you get to three-year-olds, it's more like one to nine. And at some license levels, it can be one to 10, which it's easy to see why programs historically have sometimes for financial reasons, like moved towards older children. And it, also babies, there's a lot of one-on-one caregiving needed. You're looking at feeding and trying to get them to sleep all at the same time. And it is a dance for sure that sometimes two adults do on their own. It takes people that have a lot of training and really understand the, the development of children that age. And it can be a while before new teachers are, are settled in and, and have the skills that they need, the skills, the yeah. education that they need. Yeah. If, if the money from the Biltmore and other mm-hmm. businesses that would hop on... Right. 
if it would be instead devoted to raising the pay of existing people in the field, existing jobs, wouldn't that in some ways better support the sustainability of this field and having more qualified professionals enter and stay? Yeah, I I think that makes a lot of sense. And when we really get into it, though, we are looking at what is the amount of money that is needed to long term do that. The the compensation grants from the recovery plan, the federal ARPA money that came in, um, we had over $8 million just in compensation coming into Buncombe County, and we still hit crisis level. Wow, and $8 so, million just for child care. Ju- just for child care. That's amazing. Just for compensation over wow. the last couple of years and last four years. And so it's really, honestly, it's disheartening to look at the lack of those funds now as they are being phased out and what does that mean for us. And, and some programs have been able to plan to, to maintain wages and... We also have seen that even with those higher wages, even with hiring at a higher wage that was made possible by those stabilization grants, many programs are having a hard time hiring. And I think it comes down to, do you remember early in the pandemic when you heard a lot of hero talk, teachers and healthcare providers and what have you, and people that, that had to keep showing up at work. And then now teachers will say, remember a couple of years ago when I was a hero? And we know they're still doing the work. They're doing more work often because they're yeah. understaffed. And I think we have a professional respect issue in the field and in our communities. We hear K-12 teachers talk about this as well, that nobody knows how hard my job is and how much I'm doing and how much I do on my own. And we take all that and we look at early childhood teachers who are doing all of the things that K-12 teachers are doing often but for much, much less pay and even less respect. Yeah, so in a way, when we were talking about, you mentioned the $8 million that came in through mm-hmm. ARPA money and that's drying up, the windows mm-hmm. is closed. Mm-hmm. Isn't that in a, in a way going to happen? The Biltmore is just on the beginning of this mm-hmm. three-year commitment. You're hoping to bring other businesses on, but in a sense, that's also relief money. Mm-hmm. It's time-boxed yeah. and it could create openings that, Hooray for the parents that get in for that uh, newborn to one-year-old or until they can get into a center where there is greater numbers of providers yeah. with three and four, for three- and four-year-olds. What has to happen to where you and your colleagues in, in this industry are not battling the sustainability issue? If the demand is greater than the supply, wouldn't the money follow that people would be able to fund or willing to fund? And what am I missing here? You're not missing anything. It's hard. I think what we're looking at is the need for sustained blending of public and private funding. Looking at childcare as infrastructure in the same way that when the roads are broken after it snows, we use tax dollars to fix the potholes. And childcare is infrastructure for business. And so if we can have more businesses following the lead of the Biltmore company to really look at early childhood education as the infrastructure that it is in our community, I I think that's really the only way that the field is going to get long-term sustainability is a a blend of public and private money. And this also seems to me among the very few issues anybody can point to that isn't partisan. Mm -hmm. Conservatives and liberals all have kids. Mm -hmm. Where is the hang-up here? Mm -hmm. Are legislators... Uh, where do they stand on funding? Are the, is it like pulling teeth? Or do they want to fund and they just don't know how to get bring in the money? Where, where do legislators stand on this? 
You're right. It, it shouldn't be partisan, honestly. And I think where we see it coming in is the balance between childcare supporting business, which often looks like some deregulation going along with that, and childcare as early childhood education, which children are learning all the time. And so wherever they are, they're going to be learning. And so it really benefits us as a society long term to be investing early. We know that those first five years before kindergarten is the biggest time of brain growth in our whole lives. And so we also know that early investment in high quality spaces for children is better economically even long term. And so we have seen historically, especially in North Carolina, North Carolina was a leader in funding early childhood early on in in the country under Governor Jim Hunt. And the Smart Start partnerships across the state are still funded by the legislature in a bipartisan way that are supporting young children and their families, including childcare across the state. I've heard that like major companies have provided childcare themselves because they have a, a large enough workforce where they can have a small daycare center. Mm-hmm. Is there any effort like that or are there any companies in this region that are doing anything similar? You mentioned uh, Mission earlier. They have an in-house program that has been licensed that employees pay for but is only open to Mission employees. We don't have any others that I know of that are doing that. I will say a couple of times a year, a business will come to me and say, there's no childcare. What would it take to start childcare on site? And where they always come to is the extreme startup cost, is the, and the headache of also really running a whole separate business. And what is the startup cost? I mean, if you're a modest employer, meaning mm-hmm. you don't have that many employees, mm-hmm. maybe dozens, maybe a hundred, maybe 200 employees mm-hmm. and your childcare needs might be five or mm-hmm. six, seven. What does it take? One room and, and one licensed or two licensed people? The, yeah. The issue there is that there are laws in North Carolina about ages being divided. They couldn't, they would have to be several classrooms for different ages and it becomes kind of an economy of scale. The overhead costs for a small number of children, even if the families themselves are paying tuition, just ends up being pretty astronomical. I think they have often gone towards providing maybe some subsidy you know, for their employees to find childcare in other places. Rather than take it on themselves. Rather than take it. There's, there's a really great resource in North Carolina called Family Friendly NC that has a resource guide around ways employers can make it easier for families with young children in terms of flexible work schedules or those kinds of things. And this is another place where what the Biltmore Company has done, I think, comes in as being pretty exciting, is that I'm hopeful that the businesses can come into a similar program and say, all right, we are going to donate X amount of money per year. And then maybe their employees would be able to take advantage of a prioritization on a wait list or those kinds of things so that several small employers could maybe come together and subsidize a, a classroom somewhere or various, some slots in a program. And the program would benefit by having some ongoing funding. Uh, because this is really in response to your question earlier about the money and from the Billmore Company, one of the grantees for this year, they said, we could provide care, but what we need is uh, an update to our HVAC system. 
because babies need to have much more regulated temperature in, in childcare for reducing SIDS risk and that kind of thing. And they said, we actually, we have a space and we would love to keep it as an infant room. We have the teachers, but our HVAC system is too unpredictable. System. So they were able to use that money, that money for that. Yeah. Cause they already had the system. They had the staff, they had the families her application was really fascinating because she was talking about how she was losing teachers because they were having babies and then they didn't have childcare for their own children. And she said, if I can keep an infant room, I can also keep my teachers sustainably long-term. And, and I think that's what we're seeing is just some creative solutions, right? For just staffing yeah. and that kind of thing. Yeah. What are the action items that you want mm -hmm. to the community to know about at this point? I want the community to really understand the professionalism and child development knowledge and skill that goes into providing childcare. They're really what is happening in these classrooms and help us raise the issue of respect for early childhood educators and, and the professional work that they are doing in programs. But wouldn't better pay show that respect? Absolutely, right? So it's, how does that happen? Mm, how does better pay mm, happen? That's what I was alluding right? to earlier. If there's mm -hmm. such demand, you would think that child care providers hold the cards. Right? There's demand for what we do. Why are you not willing to pay more? Where does the buck mm -hmm. stop? I think the buck stops at that need for sustainable, blended public and private money. Yeah, this is advocacy to our local and state and national governing bodies in terms of sustained funding. If you value the Overlook's place in Asheville's media landscape, please consider joining dozens of others who are supporting the show through my Patreon crowdfunding page. Become a member for as little as $5 a month. Visit patreon.com slash the Overlook podcast. Our first look newsletter gives you just a handful of daily headlines from around the local media landscape to get you on your morning. We also have a weekly newsletter devoted to all things The Overlook that hits you every Friday. Both are free and available at podavl.com slash newsletter. I want to thank my guest today, Jenny Vile, Director of Child Care Resources at Buncombe Partnership for Children. Our conversation took place at the BB Theater in downtown Asheville, which is available to me due to the largesse of Susan and Giles Collard of Asheville Contemporary Dance Theater. The theme song for The Overlook, Maker's Song, comes to us courtesy of the Asheville duo The Resonant Rogues. The Overlook is a production of Podcast Asheville. New episodes come out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on any social media channel at AVL Overlook. And I'll see you on the next episode of The Overlook with Matt Pikin. Hey everyone, Matt Pikin here from The Overlook, and I'll get back to my conversation in just a moment. But I'm asking you, the listener, yes, you, listening this very moment, is The Overlook making a difference in your connection to Asheville? Do you know more about what makes this city tick and where we're struggling? If you had to give up one cup of coffee every month to do your part to keep this show going, would you step up? If you answered yes to any of that, and I really hope you did, 
please join dozens of other listeners by supporting The Overlook with Matt Pikin through my Patreon campaign by giving just $5 a month. Give it higher levels and you'll earn free tickets to my live podcasting events. Your support means the world to me and helps keep this show free for anyone to hear. Go to patreon.com slash the overlook podcast.